0: Welcome to the Exploring Leadership Podcast, where we interview experienced HR leaders and executives to define what the most effective leaders are made of and how to help underperforming leaders transform into the best they can be. Brought to you by Lumen Leadership. Now here's your host, Spencer Taylor.
1: I'm so pleased today to welcome Hari Hari Krishnan, who is the Chief Product and Innovation Officer at the Cerebrus Group. Hari, welcome to the show. So glad you could join us today.
0: Thank you, Spence. Excited to be here.
1: I got the blessing of uh, had the blessing of meeting with you a couple weeks ago as we touched base and and, uh, talked about doing this together. Uh, But our listeners haven't heard from you yet, so I'm or don't know you yet, and so I'm anxious to have you introduce yourself and just share some of the highlights of kind of your journey uh, up to this point. Whatever you felt impressed to share that would help us understand who you are, what you're up to, and then we'll get into talking about some of the the leadership principles and
0: things. Of course, Spence. Uh, I live in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley. I've had uh, over the last thirty years uh, the big fortune, good fortune to be at the intersection of you know technology and several industries. I started out in telecom, moved into internet, moved into healthcare, did manufacturing, so digital strategy consulting. So five plus industries over the last uh, few decades. And uh, still looking at, uh, you know, how technology is affecting our lives. These days, I'm very interested in, uh, you know, how public policy and health tech and technology in general are intersecting. Uh, you know, it looks like we're going to see more and more of our government services getting digitized and so on. So that's uh, what uh, keeps me often excited. I know I've had, you know, 2021 had some great projects uh, you know everything ranging from health tech to AI and uh, you know one of the most interesting things I did this year is uh, you know I'm advising a company that does uh, nanotech they have this paint that you use to paint your walls at home that makes the walls sensitive to your touch tap talk right so you can actually imagine making your walls talk, Literally, talking the words is not going to be a bad thing. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Who would
1: have have thought we'd ever come to this point? That's amazing. That's right. Huh. Well, so that's I have to ask a couple kind of follow-up questions to that. First, I I really love your accent. I love talking with people from different parts of the world. Um, I'm guessing you may not have been born in Silicon Valley. Is that (laughs) safe to say? And if so, how did you come from wherever you were to Silicon Valley?
0: That's a good question. Um, uh, So I grew up in India. I did my undergrad, all that in India. Then I came to the U.S. uh, to work and study. I went to UC Berkeley, uh, did my MBA there. Before that, I did my undergrad in electronics. Um, So I've been in the Bay Area most of my time, almost all my time in the U.S. Um, But I've traveled extensively, but uh, both here and Europe and Asia uh but base has always been silicon valley so in some ways i'm spoiled by the weather here you could say
1: well that's amazing uh really great well yeah and thanks for sharing a bit more just about the the further distant past i guess uh of your origins it's always nice to hear about that so what the, i mean what really prompted you of course your school choices studying an undergraduate in electronics and then going on to an mba I'm sure played a role, but even before that, like how did you choose your field? It's always interesting to to understand why someone chose the path that they're on and how much of what they're doing now was deliberate decision and planning versus reacting to kind of what was going on around you there There tends to be kind of a combination of both of those for a lot of us yeah. at least so how much what tell us tell us about that
0: oh that's uh oh, you're in full form today' Spence. um <laughs> this is <laughs> uh um it's a, it's a question that I've often reflected on uh, about how my how my life and career has taken shape. You know, I would have, uh, you know, the normal path, uh, people that I grew up in with my background, my parents' background, would be, you know, a highly competitive space, go into professional degree, get an engineering degree or a doctor's degree or something like that, right? So that would be the normal path. So let's say I followed one of those, so I decided not to go into medicine, decided to go into engineering. Um, and uh, once that is done, typically the you know, the college that I went to, you know, one of the top ones in the in India, most people come to the US to study. Uh, I would have followed that path normally, but I thought I should probably work for a little bit, not to overburden my parents into spending money sending me to the US and so on. So uh, started to work for a little bit in the industry, got into uh, computer hardware and software and things like that in, in the nineties, and uh, uh, then things took a turn because of the Gulf War, the first Gulf War by, uh, you know, U.S. invading Iraq after the Kuwait. The side effect of that is. Uh, the currency got devalued, you know. The Indian currency got devalued because of you know uh, lack of enough you know, funds and so on, which made coming to the US about two times more expensive for me. Right, so I decided that I am not going to take a you know go and get masters in science or MS in the US and and the like. So I decided that I needed to actually work in India for some more time and then come back, work in the US, and then get a degree here. So I. I would say that particular Gulf War and currency devaluation did change my trajectory from a technology-oriented next level to you know straight up into work and business. I would say
1: it's just so fascinating to hear more of those details. That that's where we we kind of get into the stories of our lives and and just uh, what makes us who we are, our identity. And I'm curious if you have any words of counsel or wisdom for. Any in the listening audience who may be in the middle of one of these transitions where they had a plan for certain steps they wanted to take, whether it's external events, internal impressions or intuition of, of feeling like they need to make a change or again, a change being forced upon them. Um, uh, maybe not necessarily something as big as currency devaluation and war, of course, as you've experienced. But if somebody's going through something like that, uh, what do you say to them when their best laid plans don't pan out? How do you advise them from there?
0: Yeah, we we have all, you know, we have all been through the most massive change that we will probably see. Hopefully, you know, the massive, most massive change uh, in the last year. So um, it's uh, it's unimaginable, right? What we would be went through and still going through in a lot of ways uh, because it's not we're not out of the woods yet. Uh, you know i I talked to just a little bit stepping back I talked to my um, my people on my family who are who have seen the world war uh, the second world war especially they think this is a bigger change than even that right so what we just went through so so it's huge, so everyone is touched by it in different ways um now I'm not uh, you know I'm not that big on raining advice like Showers in in Seattle, but one thing that I that has helped me, I would say, is uh, diversification of your skills. Um, for some reason, you know, you know, about twenty years ago, I realized that we are all going to live for a very, very long time. Um, you know, more than our parents' generation, on an average, uh, life expectancy gets up there which means that the only way to stay current would be to diversify your skills. could be any skills. It could be your subject matter that you learned. It could be your vocational skills that you gained by working in you know, different areas from whether it's I'm talking in business sales to marketing to development uh, services and so on. Uh, and, of course, our, our human skills, which are uh, whether it's interpersonal skills, uh, from communication, collaboration to uh, more abstract analytical skills and decision-making skills. Right. So, I I've only I've, I've always told my teams that I've managed that. Whatever you do, don't don't think this is your final job. Just just keep thinking that you're going to diversify. You're going to do many jobs, roles in your life. So that's what I do. You know, I I try to keep my eyes and ears out for learning new things every day.
1: I love that mindset. And I think that's such an important attitude, again, for all of us to maintain regardless of, uh, you know, again, you mentioned the pandemic. We're kind of somewhat coming through, as you said, it's not over yet, but it's good to be as far along as we are in, in parts of the world. I know, for example, uh, your, your homeland, uh, still struggling in some ways over there in India. So we're, we're thinking about and praying for those wonderful people. Um, So anyway, I just love what you shared. Just, yeah, you bet. Just thinking about the diversification. I love that. Uh, Again, I think implied in that is kind of this natural curiosity and just a a thirst for learning and and growth. For you, that led ultimately to, I didn't say this in the intro, but you're also a co-founder of the Cerebrus Group. What led you to make that decision? That's a pretty big jump to go from working for uh, an established company to starting something that's brand
0: new. That's right. So this is my second uh, venture in entrepreneurship. The previous was health tech. Uh, I think going into something new, you know I in some ways, uh, some of these you don't plan for necessarily, you know waking up in the morning thinking, I'm going to found a company, right? So uh, you uh, you know you have these conversations, you sort of look at uh, what is evolving in the industry. you think of your own background and how you can actually. Whether you can add value there or not. Um, in my case, uh, the intersection of technologies and industries is has been a big theme in my career. So, uh, building new products, building new businesses, using that theme um, is what has prompted me to do things. Uh, digital strategy, you know, the my current, the company and the you know, work that we do here, they are all about we're not about building new technology as much as taking existing technology that's quite mature and applying it for results, right? Because I am a big believer that we have enough technology in our lives. Uh, Yes, there are some exciting stuff coming, like the intelligent paints that I talked about earlier, but there is enough technology right here, right now, for us to actually apply it properly and make an improvement to our society, our business. So that's, the foundational reason for this company
1: boy that sounds really uh exciting and disruptive in a positive way just that you're, you're trying to uh well and I, I maybe should frame this as a question it seems like in part of what you described there there's a little bit of a, a pulling back not necessarily trying to make new technologies and building on but looking at how you can evaluate what already exists what First, did, did I get that right? And then second, if so, uh, what, what's the main reason for that focus? Is there something that's kind of at the root of yeah, it as a core it's, belief?
0: It's uh, it's applying it. Um, it could be new or it could be fairly, it, it's in general fairly mature or even emerging, but the goal is to apply it to a problem. For example, telehealth, how do you make telehealth work? Uh, you know, it's a question of applying uh, you know telecom, infotech, or to... Bring to bear on care delivery, right? So the outcome is healthcare delivery. Outcome is not making technology, but as if you need to put some technology together to drive an outcome, we will. So that's sort of the uh, way to look at this. What's driving it is, I've you know I've been in so much technology that is probably not a single part of uh, telecom and IT that I've not touched in my you know, many years in the industry. So. For me, you know, just a new technology is you know, just one more thing, right? You know, no. But something like that, intelligent paint still gets me excited because of the possibilities there. But, uh, but other than that, you know, if you talk to me about, oh, this is, this is a new software or this is uh, interesting AI or something like that, you know, it, it, it doesn't, I see the potential for it, but it doesn't get me excited for technology's sake. I just get excited by the possibility and the potential behind it. So that's uh, the distinction.
1: Excellent, Uh, it's it's great. Thanks uh, for kind of clarifying that uh, for my sake. Uh, So I'm I'm curious as I'm thinking about your world that I admit I don't know a lot about, uh, you know, the technical side. Like I'm I'm not a good candidate to come and work with you because you've got this good balance of of your technical knowledge um, and background in electronics and those details. And that leads me to think more about the talent equation in any company is such an important piece of of success or failure, meaning finding the right people to execute on needed tasks and fulfilling customer demand and, and all that. Um, how do you go about finding that right talent who has the appropriate balance of the technologies or technical skill set, knowledge, and then soft skills, you know, the ability to communicate and, uh, empathize and a lot of those things. Any, any reflections or ideas around that, how that's gone for you? Yes. Uh, actually a lot,
0: lots of reflections on it. I, I think, uh, i've i've sort of been thinking of the skill problem for a while you know some of my uh, pro bono work that i do in skill development mentoring is around these uh, I, I just uh, started to work with some of the education foundations in the area on this and also digital divide and so on but skills i would prob- I would put these skills that we all have inherently into uh, a few buckets four buckets to be precise uh, one is our our domain that we train in. You know, they could be STEM, you know, technology, science, or sports in some cases, or, or arts. Right? You know, we, people go into these different areas. So that that's a that's a functional domain, if you will. Right? That's uh, think of them as technical skills. The second is uh, your vocational skills, which is either are you in marketing, are you in sales, are you in uh, product development. Uh, or even service, and so on and so forth. Right? Every company, regardless of the company, you know, big, small, size, you know, they all have these functions. You know, someone has to sell, someone has to build, someone has to market, and so on. Right? So that's vocational. The uh, third one is you know, plain interpersonal. Right? It's uh, how do you communicate? How do you collaborate? Uh, you know, I, I put those into my three buckets of communication collaboration and compassion even, right? It's uh, How do you do those? Uh, uh, the fourth one is actually probably more difficult to quantify and articulate. That has to do with analysis, pattern matching, abstraction. Uh, we are getting into both the soft leadership side of it, but we are also talking a little bit neuroscience at this point because neuroscientists can explain this stuff trying to figure out how people tick what makes people tick in certain ways so uh, but that's sort of the four buckets from technical to vocational to interpersonal and then I would call decision making right so um, you will you, we all have a mix of each one of these uh, and we're all constantly evolving in this if you pay attention to it but I try to uh, you know pick uh, people who have the potential uh you know it doesn't necessarily have to be over all about your past experience, but it can be about you know your future potential to a lot in terms of can you can you reinvent yourself? Can you take what you learned and reinvent and relearn and so on, right? So you know there's a big component of that.
1: Well I love how you spelled out all four of those dimensions. And I, you started to kind of answer this next question already, but just curious, if you have, let's say you have two candidates. Um, one of them is stronger on the first two. They have good technical skill and vocational skill, weaker on the interpersonal and the decision-making side. And then the other one is just the opposite, very strong on interpersonal and the decision-making and not so strong on technical vocational are you able to choose between those pretty easily, or is it is it kind of more complex than that in t- deciding which one to go with?
0: It's actually uh, not that. It depends on your time horizon. If you're willing to invest in a person and bring them up to speed, then it doesn't matter, right? You can you can pick that. You wouldn't say no to either of them for that reason. But if your time horizon is short and you actually need somebody up and running faster. Then you could go one way or the other, A or B, right? Um, you you focus on uh, technical and vocational if you want somebody hitting the ground running on those fronts, and then you can manage the, you can cover for the other two by either coaching or uh, taking, you know, fitting them in with somebody else who is, is better at the other part, right? So we all have our you know a particular point in life. We all have our strengths and weaknesses in a, in these four dimensions. So. So, so I think it's a function of timing and uh, uh, runway. But but I would say one thing, though, uh, Mike, from my experience, developing the two underlying skills around interpersonal and decision-making, they're actually, they take longer time to develop than picking up subject matter in a technical field or, uh, even functional. Functional gets a little harder, I mean vocational gets a little bit harder but that's the way I look at it Now, how long does it take for someone to develop it because for us uh, who have been in senior roles we know what it takes to actually be aware of interpersonal skill development and decision making skills it it takes just a lot longer. They're very transferable Um I sort of think of them as like the wheels in a car, you know, you can, you can move the wheels around and you the car will keep going. But uh, the other part is the body, you know, you can't really switch body from one car to the other that easily. right? So that's the difference.
1: I like that. That's a great, great uh, analogy. Well, and the, often you're, you'll hear people uh, talk about hiring for culture, like hire for culture fit first, and then uh, basically fill in the gaps if there are any, uh, when it comes to the technical and, and uh, vocational skills that may be missing, and maybe part of what you just shared is is kind of the why behind that. <clears throat> and again, maybe it's a philosophy more than a hard and fast rule. There are probably people out there who believe in the opposite, in hiring first for technical vocational, and then you can kind of fit culture. Uh, but uh, my, my personal tendency is to lean more toward the culture fit uh, first, where you want them to be a good fit for your organization, have that ability to collaborate, communicate, uh, and then you can fill in uh, some of the other. So anyway, I just I'm kind think, of uh, digesting. Yeah, no, that's, a,
0: that's a good point. I I try not to have such a hard and fast line between the two because uh, I think fit is often so subjective that we might uh, end up overlooking people uh, because we think they may not be a fit. But remember, people are always changing. You know, they are. Uh, what you were two years ago is not what you are today. What you were 10 years ago is not what you are. So one of the things I try to do is not put people in a frame of reference that I've created for myself and sort of see how their mug fits into that frame. I would rather see what the potential is first and then see if we can work that around. If they are coachable, if they learn themselves, if they are self-motivated, then um, the, the fit frame has got to get relaxed quite a bit, I would say.
1: I like how you articulate that just that it, uh, it's a there's a little bit more to it than just saying hire for culture first and then you can make up for the others <laughs> because it is very individualized. And in a way, it kind of brings this full circle back around to what you talked about in the beginning of the importance of being willing to diversify your knowledge and skills and being willing to adapt. Um, it makes me think about the role of personal vision. Like if you have someone who has a clear personal vision on what they would like to achieve next, and that vision includes things like learning new things and adapting and fitting into a, a new industry potentially, uh, maybe that tells you something about what's underneath, so to speak, as well. Like what's within their core and makes them who they are.
0: Yeah, I think, you know. Again I'm, I'm looking back now decades of how this has evolved right which is I'm sure we all go through a certain place where we think, oh that's a great technology you know I, when I, I in my 90s you know it was the internet was great Now the dial-up internet in particular, you know that is uh, late 90s dial-up internet oh, It was great you know we could never see uh, behind that because the, the wave was so high and riding. And then, of course, the wave subsided, and then you look for what's the next thing, right? So, so it's it's natural for us to look at what we see as uh, appealing and trendy, and so on. Uh, but but the thing to remember probably is, um, yes, those waves will come and go, and we may want to ride a certain wave uh, to its fullest, probably. Um, but keep in mind that that is a, a wave. You know, there will be other waves as well. So. Uh, sustaining our lives and work career through multiple such waves uh, would be what we're going to be seeing going forward.
1: Yeah, that's great, great thoughts. Well, and I just think of the the truth that there are macro waves like a global pandemic and even uh, local economy and political landscape and, and all these sorts of things. And then there are microwaves, so to speak, that each of us have to navigate. It could be a personal tragedy or trial, or hardship could just be someone kind of a little bit in a funk, you know, they're, they're just kind of having a hard time being motivated. And um, for whatever reason, uh, how do you, as a leader of, of your organization, how do you navigate those with your people? Uh, I guess it, is there a point where there's a, something's got to give, something's got to change uh, or how, how, how well, how do you know how much to invest in your people and supporting them through their down trends uh, trusting that they'll navigate, and you can help them navigate back toward a, a higher performing level. I don't know if I asked that question very well. <laughs> definitely if you have any thoughts on no, that,
0: uh, you asked that very well. It, it is a it is a it is a tough problem. Uh, you know, it is. Uh, I think our individual. Yes, you you phrased it nicely in terms of the macro waves that happen. You know, we just we're just going through a deluge right now. One of those, um, and then within that deluge, everybody has our. Uh, our challenges and how we manage it, you know, they could be as small as or let's cope with how to work from home. You know, that's a, I, I call it a small problem. Of course, in, in some people's cases it may not be as small if they're managing kids at home and having to work at, from home while managing two or three uh, small children who are, you know, not, not in daycare and things like that. But but let's assume that's a small another problem. And the bigger end of the problem is, you know, you've you've lost your job and you're trying to figure out how to get back into the uh, work stream and so on, right? So, uh, I think uh, it's it's a it's a hard. First, we just have to recognize that it is actually really hard on people, and and we don't know how hard. The second thing is, we don't know how hard it is because uh, each person situation is different. Yeah, every one of us deal with this differently. Um, so you know the level of hardship varies from person to person right that's uh, so the only suggestion i have is you know that i go back to my leadership principles of you know i call it my three c's that i that i keep thinking about which is are you are you compassionate about it are you curious about what those individuals are going through are curious in general you know um, not Saying nosy, I'm um, saying, be aware, be curious. You know, there may be something going on about that you don't know. Uh, compassionate curiosity, and then figure out how to collaborate. You know, if, if they're actually in your team and if you're working, uh, figure out how collaboration works. This, uh, i found that um, some of the skills are unique to, you know, human beings. You know, compassionate, uh, being able to collaborate with purpose and. Uh, being curious at multiple levels. Um, those are things that uh, gets us through um, times, but, but individual journeys, you know, I think as much awareness we can build around our downturns, our own upturns, our personal level, daily, weekly, maybe helpful.
1: I absolutely love that. It's simple, it's beautiful, and I think it is very uh, actionable as well as, with, again, like you say, given any scenario, one way to check in with yourself and, uh, and see if you're doing all that you can do is to ask those three questions. Am I being compassionate? Am I being curious in an, an appropriate way? And I mean, am I willing to and engaging in collaboration with the individual or individuals who are affected by whatever the situation is? So that, I think that's beautiful. How do how do the listeners take that and apply it? You know, we're kind of getting here to the end. The action item side of things, do you have a suggestion on exactly how they can grab hold of one of those or all three and and go apply that right now in their life as a leader to be more effective?
0: Yeah, I would I would pick from a if I were to pick one out of those three, you know, from compassion and curiosity and collaboration, I would pick collaboration to Start And the reason is, uh, in, a, in a workplace, we're always collaborating with somebody or the other, right? We are, we are not lone worlds uh, trying to create something and, you know, slay the dragon single-handedly, you know, bring the bacon home and all that stuff, right? Those are all, you know, pretty um, old, uh, primitive ways of doing things. So we're always collaborating with people, whether it's inside the organization, whether it's outside the organization, uh, Upwards, downwards, laterally, and so on. So, how do you collaborate? Um, are you, have you consciously thought about how you collaborate? Because it, uh, you know, I realized this. I realized this twenty years ago when there was so much talk about collaboration and collaboration 2.0 and 3.0 and so on and so forth. As we techies do in uh, versioning, right? But they realized that people were talking about collaboration, but they weren't really collaborating with purpose, right? So how do you collaborate with purpose, which makes you have to step back and think about, I've got to get this much done, perhaps, and I'm going to request, I need help from people. Uh, I need them to be engaged. I need them to be participating, contributing, learning, all that, right? So um, just that, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like a flick of a switch that you realize that, in order to get people to collaborate, you need to give them purpose, get them engaged. So simple steps, that's what I would do. Uh, that's, that's the way I approach any, any project that we take on and anything that we work on.
1: That is so powerful. And I, the way that I'm thinking about it is, building off of what you just said, is to turn on the collaboration switch in your life. And we could even think of it as a dimmer switch in the sense that it has, you know, varying levels. It's not necessarily just on or off, but think right. about a way you can turn it up uh, to the next level. And, and that, to me, there, there's some implied wisdom also in the transparency that's required to collaborate effectively. You have to be willing to trust people with information that they need and, and invite them to trust you with information you need so that you can both, you know, both or all uh, bring your best and create something yeah. that uh, that's much better than any one person could create on their own.
0: That's right. You hit the nail on the head. It requires a level of uh, awareness, a purpose, transparency, and uh, trust. I think those are really key. Been, all of them roll into it. Now, it's a pretty you know as I said earlier, you know some of these skills are you learn through a lifetime. And you're evolving it, and that's why those skills are harder to develop. But you realize that collaboration is such a powerful thing that you know humanity wouldn't be where we are, but for collaboration, right?
1: Yep, absolutely. Boy, I think that's that's probably a whole other episode we could talk about examples of uh, what what history has taught us about both instances where people did collaborate effectively in the way of new inventions and things that came about that would never have happened, and then some of the biggest failures in history we could probably point to the fact that collaboration did not happen and people did not communicate. So anyway, maybe we'll save that for another day, but that's, that's a great, great point. Well, Hari, I'm so grateful that you spent time with us today. Thanks for teaching us about these principles and inviting us to apply them in a powerful way. Again, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that?
0: Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Spence, for having me over. I really appreciate the discussion and enjoyed it. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm I'm an open networker on LinkedIn, so you you feel free to drop me a note through LinkedIn, connect with me. I'm I'm happy to. I do try to respond to most messages I get, except you know, just uh, unfortunately, I don't have time to respond to all the sales requests. But if you're requesting for uh, you know just insights, suggestions, uh, sharing learnings, I'm happy to do that. Excellent.
1: Well, and again, it's uh, building right on the on the principle you just invited everyone to act on to collaborate, right? You're, <laughs> you're open to, to collaborate yourself and apply that. So you're drinking your own Kool-Aid. <laughs> That's, That's a great, great thing. Well, thanks again, Ari. It's such a blessing to be with you and I hope you have a terrific uh, remainder of your day here. Thank you, Spence. You too.
0: Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Exploring Leadership Podcast. To access free videos, leadership tools, case studies, tutorials, and more about how to engage your leaders at the next level, visit LumenLeader.com. We'll see you next time.